Witness Docs from Stitcher. I'm logging in. Testing one, 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 one. Testing. I don't think the audio is coming through. Yeah, we don't hear you. This is going to make my dad buy a new computer. (laughs) I'm in the studio with my producer, Abigail. We're trying to record a call with my pops. Chris. What's poppin'? Look, man, what's it called? The application? It's antiquated, man. Seems like we're going to have to buy a new one. Bye. (laughs) Told you. Told you. I love that man. He's truly one of a kind, my pops is. My pops was born and raised in the U.S. like me. Fun fact, we were actually born in the same hospital, New York Presbyterian Hospital for Women on the Upper East Side. Now, Pops was born in New York, but both his parents are Dominicano. He spent his childhood summers on the island. He even moved back to the DR for a couple of years in his 20s. All my childhood, my Pops was proud of being Dominican. He taught me to identify that way. We'd get a Dominican breakfast at a joint in Queens once a week, some bomb-ass mango and sachichon, also known as mashed green plantains and fried salami. It's delicious. You should try it. And we'd cut a rug to some bachata or merengue in the living room. And that's what being Dominican meant to me. But there's a few things, and kind of big things, that my pops didn't teach me about being Dominican. And they bothered me a little. The first one is, my parents didn't teach me Spanish. Not a lick. Even though it's the only language both my grandmothers speak. And the second thing is, I have never set foot in the DR. Never visited the island once. How come I never went to the Dominican Republic? Why do you think that didn't happen? Was it not important? You know, how come I, I, I never learned Spanish? Lauren went. You didn't find an interest in Spanish. And um, Lauren went because of her grandmother. My grandmother as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Martha and I talk about it. But I would say that I, I don't know. I really don't know. And, and it hurts me now. Why didn't we take a trip? Because we, we still have a little bit of family. But why would he go and introduce you to this beautiful island? As you can hear, my pops' reasons for why these things haven't happened, well, they're not that clear. What are we going to do? Decide we'd go to DR, but we're not all in the same tune or in the same page? Let's say an example. Christmas. You're busy. I wanted to go to DR and spend a vacation, but we can't because you're busy filming. This is funny how it's always my fault. (laughs) It's interesting. It occurs to me that I would never be having this conversation with my dad if it wasn't for Porfirio Rubirosa. My fascination with Ruby's life and Ruby's identity was what led me to start learning more about the Dominican Republic. I could understand Ruby better if I understood where he came from. But where he came from is also where my family came from. I want to know my heritage, our heritage. I want to know what lessons what warnings, wisdoms, and joys can be found in our people's history. Maybe that'll help unlock some things about Ruby and about me and about why I feel so dangerously close to him. This is episode four. What's in my blood? Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. 
Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Before this podcast, this is the extent of what I knew about the DR. We invented bachata music. I knew the group Aventura and my pops' favorite, Juan Luis Guerra. And we've got baseball heroes, from Manny Ramirez to David Big Poppy Ortiz. Manny Ramirez with an absolute rocket into the Boston... And who could forget good old Cardi B? Don't get me wrong. I love the baseball and the music, and Cardi is dope, but I know there must be more. What's this island that Ruby waved a flag for his whole life? This island I represent, but have never actually been to. About 10 years ago, I started researching on my own learning as many details about the history of the island as I could. And now, I'm trying to find out about how my family fits into that history. Uh, Pops, tell me about your childhood in the DR. I, w- I wasn't raised in the Dominican Republic. I'm a New Yorker, born and raised there. And my mother, every time, most people that come from another country, their goal is to go back to their country. And they work hard. And then they spend like three weeks there. I mean, it's long ones. So my vacations were spent in Dominican Republic. My grandfather was the guy that I admired so much. He built towns and when he bought the land, he would he would do the surveys and cut the lands and do the roads. He had his own construction company. And also, if you look at him in Wikipedia, his name is Juan Alba. And one town that he built was um, La Caleta. One of my ancestors built a whole town, y'all. I have the same question here as I have about Ruby. Yo, why am I just finding this out? Shouldn't this be a big deal? What else don't I know? I mean, like I said, wow. I to me, he was everything. My mom divorced when I was three, so he was actually every time you see me in the summer, raised me, and and it progressed. Every summer, I would have to go to schools there to learn Spanish. And it was most enjoyable times for me. I mean, I would ride horses that he had. Um, I would go with him in his Jeep. He had that safari look. He always carried me in his lap. It was just moments I, I will never forget. Best times. Memories like these are what make me upset that I never got a chance to visit the island. I want to see this place where my dad rode horses. But even my dad hasn't been back to see his family in almost 20 years. I'm going to tell you why. I have really nobody there. Most of my family came for the American dream. And I don't think it is a dream when you come here and you're just trying to make ends meet and even try to get your citizenship. The United States is very hard. People come here and they have a dream. It might be better for those who are very poor. My family wasn't poor. They just didn't do anything. They were just living off dad's money. And when they were kids, they were spoiled. So they came here thinking that they would get the American dream. And the American dream is just work your ass off. Before this podcast, 
I hadn't heard the detail about how my great-grandfather Juan Alba built a dang town. But this stuff here? I've heard this before. Basically, my pops' mother and her siblings, the children of Juan Alba, were a huge disappointment. They squandered the family's fortune. They let the businesses die. And like any narrator in a good telenovela, Juan Alba himself predicted the downfall. I mean, one thing he did say as I got older, that his children, uh, three girls and two boys, will destroy his dynasty and you'll see what's going to happen. Exactly what he said. All the guys took advantage of his wealth. You know, it just started to fall slowly and dissipated. My pops did tell me one other thing about my great-grandfather. Turns out, Juan Alba was a cousin-in-law to Rafael Trujillo. I know my grandfather was really associated with him. Trujillo, as in that guy I mentioned in an earlier episode, El Presidente of the DR, known as one of the bloodiest dictators in history. The guy who was also Ruby's father-in-law. Trujillo was married to Maria de los Angeles Martinez Alba. She was his third and final wife, and she was my great-grandfather's cousin. Trujillo, what did you know about him as a kid? He was a dictator, killed people. Um, was really a, a bad person from what I've heard. I think there's a cousin of his that was involved with the politics. I'm not 100% sure because I heard of an Alba who used to be his Sicario, so I'm not sure if he's the guy. A Sicario, as in an old-school hitman, as in a real assassin that is potentially in my family tree. Gonna have to look into that. So it never got mentioned the uh, Maria de los Angeles Martinez Alba was married to Trujillo, who's your grandfather's cousin? Nope. It wasn't mentioned at all, and you don't really want to bring that up. And if you, I heard there was a point that if they knew you were involved with, it's the same thing as Hitler. If you were part of Hitler, they would come and kill you. So I heard the same thing was that if you were involved with Trujillo, there were people that would actually go look for you and freaking chop your head off and hurt you because of all the crimes that were done through this guy. The DR is a small island. It's kind of a joke that everybody is related. Like, you know, you always run into your cousins. But hearing that we are related to Trujillo, even just by marriage, well, then all of a sudden the joke's not so funny anymore. The truth is, I have photos of my father with Trujillo. Uh, My grandfather was really involved with Trujillo. And I would say that I don't think he was in a dictatorship. I think he was more of... If you're not part of this group, you wouldn't get what you need to get. So you had to be smart. Okay, so my family was close enough to be protected by Trujillo, maybe get some business opportunities, but they weren't close enough to him to be blamed for anything bad he did. This feels like a bit of magical thinking on my pops' part, but I can't really blame him. And once I started looking into the history of the DR, It is obvious that Trujillo is a subject you cannot avoid, but also a subject no one really wants to talk about. It feels like that's some essential part of being Dominican for Ruby, for my dad, doing this dance around Trujillo. But at this point, 
I'm tired of dancing around the truth. I'm tired of sugarcoating it. I'm tired of wondering why I don't know more about the history of where I come from. I'm ready to know it all, starting with Trujillo. Trujillo? All Dominicans, they want to be Trujillo. This is Milagros Record, professor of Latin American history at Lehman College in New York. We met her in a previous episode. She agrees that the DR has a weird relationship with Trujillo. He is simultaneously a stain on the country's legacy, but also he's idolized for his masculinity. Trujillo still is in the mind of many, many Dominicans because it's the idea of Trujillo, you know, dominating everybody, controlling everybody, having all the women I want, having all the money I want to have, killing here and there, killing my enemies. You know, that's fascinating. That idea of control, domination, tigeraje. Tigre, you heard Milagro say, if you don't already know what a tigre is, it's a special brand of Dominican machismo. For Trujillo, being a tigre meant being a pretty typical dictator. I'm Bill Leonard, standing in front of one of the countless statues of Rafael Trujillo that dot the landscape of the Dominican Republic. This is an old TV special made by CBS in 1960. Journalist Bill Leonard travels around the DR to report on Trujillo. And this next moment, I think, tells you a lot about the Generalissimo. Generalissimo, do you resent the word uh, dictator? No, 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 no. He's actually said that he doesn't resent that word. The voice you hear now is Trujillo's translator. This uh, word of uh, dictator is a speculation uh, word uh, created by his enemies. Trujillo may have laughed off the suggestion that he was a dictator, but he was a dictator through and through. He exploited the Dominican Republic, not for Dominican, but for himself. Trujillo has so much money that he actually paid in full the Dominican debt. And he created the Dominican peso. And he created the Bank of Reservas, the National Bank. Some people believe that was an act of nationalism, but that was an, a personal act to preserve what is, was his. He wasn't thinking about the nation. He was thinking about himself. Of course, like most dictators, Trujillo thrived on taking control, silencing and disappearing his enemies, killing and jailing anyone who opposed him. And on top of that, women across the country lived in fear of him. He was also called the great rapist because he used to rape women, you know, everywhere. He went to a place and he liked a woman. The woman had to be white with straight hair. Uh, So there are many stories of rape. The women have to be white, and ideally from elite families. This is part of Trujillo's long-standing obsession with status and whiteness. We talked a little bit about this in a previous episode. Trujillo was desperate to be white, closely linked with the European elite. In my research into Dominican history, I came across a PBS documentary special called Black in Latin America, hosted by the legend Henry Louis Gates Jr. He did a whole episode about Haiti and the DR, It's really great, and one of the best things I've seen about recent history on the island. Here is Gates on the show with a guide looking at photos of Trujillo from the 1930s. Look at that. You would think it was Europe. Yeah, in in his ID, Uh he put on um, white. On his ID. He's white. But he was a mulatto. Ah, yeah. Ah. Like me. Like you. Uh Uh-huh. 
you can see the, yeah. the rose cheeks and yeah. the pits and hmm. his photos, mm -hmm. his makeup. He has makeup. And the, the pictures and the photos. Yeah. He would uh, powder his face? Powder, yeah. Lighten. Ah. Yeah, it's white powder. Ah. Damn. Trujillo marked white on his ID, just like my pops does. Obviously, they are doing it in different times and places and, you know, on different scales. But still, it makes you think. Trujillo's obsession went further than just his own appearance. He was on a mission to make the entire nation whiter by any means necessary. That mission was, unfortunately, kind of a tradition for the DR by the time Trujillo was in power. So were they all white guys? Uh, he is a mulatto. Oh, he didn't look very mulatto in that statue. Henry Louis Gates Jr. again for PBS. This time he's with a different guide, looking at a statue of one of the DR's founding fathers, a guy named Juan Pablo Duarte. No, he doesn't. Uh, and that reflects a tendency in the imaginary of the uh, Dominican ruling elites who have a, this, this tendency to want to whitify uh, their heroes if their heroes are too black. So they whiten the brother? Yes. Let's talk a bit about where this Dominican urge to whiten history comes from, shall we? The DR is one half of the Caribbean island of Hispaniola. The other half is Haiti. It's surrounded by Cuba, Jamaica, and Puerto Rico. Originally, beautiful indigenous Taino people lived on the island. The DR is actually one of the first places in the Americas that Christopher Columbus landed. He and other colonizers decimated the indigenous population, unfortunately, as they do. There are still many people with Taino blood living in the DR. There's probably some of that blood in me. But the culture as a whole was basically wiped out. The colonizers responsible were French and Spanish. The French settled on the western side, in what is now Haiti, and the Spanish settled on the east, the DR. All the colonizers brought boats filled with enslaved people, slaves from West Africa. Hispaniola was the first place that black people, African people, touched down in the Americas. The French and Spanish put them to work farming sugarcane. Slavery on the island started in the 1500s and it lasted for nearly 300 years. Then, this is where it gets cool. After years of rebellion, the enslaved people on the French side of the island actually won their independence in 1804. Haiti was the first free black country of the Americas. In 1821, inspired by Haiti, the black people on the Spanish side of the island were like, we should do this too. So they rebelled as well. And they pushed out the Spanish governor, peace. And then Haiti stepped in and took control over the whole island of Hispaniola. This could have been the end of one history and the start of another. One big, beautiful black nation successfully kicking out the colonists and ruling themselves. But the folks in charge of the formerly Spanish side of the island, they weren't happy with the new Haitian government. They didn't want to speak French and they didn't want to give up Catholicism. They wanted to be white and Spanish. So they pushed the Haitians out, forming the Dominican Republic. And with that came this ever-present hate against everything it means to be Haitian, including being proud of their black roots. Today, Dominicans celebrate their independence not from Spain, the nation that colonized them, exploited them, enslaved, and killed their native population, but from their neighbor, from their black brothers and sisters on the same island, Haiti. The DR celebrates its independence from Haiti. 
What does that tell you about Dominican-Haitian relationships? It's not all Dominicans, but the officiality of the Dominican Republic has instilled in the minds of Dominicans that we are Indo-Hispanic. So the motherland is Spain. The enemy is the black guy next door. So it's, it's like Haiti is the enemy no Spain. So we have all these narratives that have been in the head of people. So we don't see uh, Spain as somebody that colonized. We don't know the, the meaning of colonization. If you can like sum it up in a sentence, the DR celebrates its independence from Haiti, not from Spain. Why do you think that is? Anti-blackness. <laughs> okay, yeah. This is France Francois, an activist and educator. She teaches a workshop called Decolonizing Hispaniola. I mean, to celebrate your independence from Spain, you'd have to recognize that you were once enslaved by Spain, right? And to recognize you were once enslaved by Spain means you would have to look around and, and see who's still currently in power in the Dominican Republic and how much of the colonial system remains. When France says who's still currently in power, she means white Dominicans. The ruling and the upper middle classes are whiter than the country's population at large. And that group in power continues to promote the global idea that white is right. So I've heard a lot of Dominicans say uh, that they were taught that they were actually enslaved by Haiti. And I always ask them, then why don't you speak Creole? Like... Like, what, what language do you speak? Like, let's, let's just put the, the dots together. But the Dominican state, Dominican education system, the Dominican church all function as state propaganda that will not allow Dominicans to see Haitians as, as their brothers or see that they have much more in common with Haitians across the river than the Dominican elite because then they will question the current power structure, and that can't happen. So the Dominican independence is celebrated from Haiti because the Dominican government needs white supremacy to exist. There is still one huge historical event that is like a distillation of hundreds of years of history between the DR and Haiti, an event I had no idea about until researching Ruby and Trujillo. France is going to tell us about it and its lasting impact when we come back. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, 
you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. When Trujillo took power in the early 1930s, the DR and Haiti had a much different relationship than they would after he was gone. France says, in the early days, the border between the two countries was actually porous. Haitians and Dominicans would cross it daily. Capaïtien is a lot closer for Dominicans on the border than Santo Domingo. So if they needed to go to the movie theater or something, they would just cross into Haiti, go to the movie theater, do their shopping, go back. You, you know, Haitians would go to school on, on the Dominican side and then in the afternoon walk home. Um, and that's how people existed for a long time. But when Trujillo took power, he decided this coexistence was a problem. The country was struggling financially. When looking for someone to blame, Trujillo looked right across that same border. Haiti was the problem. Haitians crossing the border was the problem. Haitians taking jobs on Dominican farms was the problem. Here's an actor reading an excerpt from a speech Trujillo gave in 1937. I have seen, investigated, and inquired about the needs of the population. To the Dominicans who were complaining of the depredations by Haitians living among them, the thefts of cattle, provisions, fruits, and were thus prevented from enjoying in peace the products of their labor, I have responded, I will fix this. And we have already begun to remedy the situation. 300 Haitians are now dead in Banica. This remedy will continue. What Trujillo calls a remedy, the rest of the world calls a genocide. In English, it's called the Parsley Massacre. In Spanish, El Corte. And in Creole, is Cutcuto. It was a one-week period in 1937 in which... The Dominican military, as long, with the support of just average Dominicans, massacred anyone perceived to be Haitian. Over the course of seven days, Dominican soldiers at Trujillo's order carried out a widespread massacre. Using machetes and knives, they killed anyone, man, woman, child, that they suspected was a Haitian. C'est comme ça, et... We saw an Asian man pass by, and he yelled out to my uncle, Go across to Haiti right now, because they are killing people in the village. This is Francisco Pierre, a Haitian man, being translated by a voice actor. When he was just 10 years old, Francisco witnessed this genocide firsthand. He was interviewed by a reporter named Marlon Bishop for an episode of Latino USA called a border drawn in blood. We went further up to here, and sure enough, the village was boiling with noise. They were killing every last Asian in the village. So we grabbed the donkey, filled our gunny sacks, and tied it to him. I had a little gourd filled with rice and put it around my shoulder, and we were off. When he gave this interview in 2017, Francisco Pierre was 90 years old. But what he saw... He says he'll never forget. We ran 
and ran and ran and ran. When we arrived far, we started to cheer and they yelled from afar to keep going because if we let other Dominicans find us, we'd be in trouble. We went down and approached a body of water which was the border between Haiti and the Dominican Republic. When we arrived, we saw a bunch of dead bodies. There were a bunch of Haitians on the Haitian side yelling, come, come, the guards are coming and if they catch you, they will kill you. But we stood there immobile. Before we knew it, the Asians crossed over and grabbed our donkeys and grabbed our hold of our hands and pulled us across. No sooner than we made it across, the Dominicans that were killing people showed up. It's impossible to know exactly how many people were killed in the Parsley Massacre. The official figure reported at the time was around 12,000 people. But France said the real number might be closer to 30,000. The bodies were burned and or thrown into the river, so a lot of the remains weren't, weren't ever found. So the number is based on uh, first-hand accounts of people who lived in these towns and, and saw the destruction but, uh, but I would also say that because the number is hard to pin down, it's been a way that um, the Dominican state and Dominican nationalists have tried to deny that it actually happened. But there's no denying it happened. There's no denying that this was a genocide. Do you know why it was called the Parsley Massacre? It's called the Parsley Massacre because legend has it that because they couldn't tell who was Dominican and who was Haitian, the the military would ask people to say Perejil. In the same way that the Nazis would target people based on their last name or the shape of their nose, legend has it that the Dominican army targeted some people based on how they pronounced the word Perejil, the Spanish word for parsley. Because Haitians, uh, in Creole, we use a, a guttural R, and, and Latinos roll their R. So um, depending on how someone would pronounce that word, they'd be able to tell if someone was, um, you know, traditionally a, a, a French or Creole speaker or traditionally a Spanish speaker. The reason why they supposedly use this test? Because for all the talk of the DR being this white Hispanic nation, Dominicans are often just as dark-skinned as their Haitian neighbors. It is pretty tricky to tell who's who based on appearances alone. That's what they say. Some historians say that that's not true, but that's, that's the legend that survived on, on both sides of the island. The Parsley Massacre. El Corte. Cutcuto. This massacre is a fact, but it's one that very few Dominicans learn much about. My dad said he'd never heard about it growing up. I didn't either. In the same way Dominicans distanced themselves from talking about the Rujillo, they distanced themselves from talking about the massacre. And France says the people of Haiti don't like to talk about the massacre either, at least not directly. My mom is from a town that's um, fairly close to the border, 
And in her family and a lot of families, people taught their children to roll their R's of, because of the fear that the Dominicans would come again one day. Before, you know, she could go out to market or do anything on her own, her mom wanted to make sure that, that she could roll her R's. And it wasn't until she was much older that she recognized why that, why that was. The Parsley Massacre was one of the most brutal events in world history. Trujillo was eventually forced to pay reparations to the Haitians, what amounted to a pathetic $30 per Haitian citizen. But he never really apologized. And all of this is made somehow more sad, disturbing, fucked up when you learn about Trujillo's own roots. Trujillo himself had Haitian family. His maternal grandma was of Haitian descent. He is also a descendant of a member of the of the Haitian elite, um, the Chevalier family, who still um, lives in, in southern Haiti today. At the end of the day, Trujillo wants to maintain his, his position of power, and he knows, just like the current president of the Dominican Republic knows, and every president since then, that the, the best way to violate the rights of people in the DR is to tell them that there's a a Haitian threat, to use the Haitian threat to consolidate your power. I'll be honest. When I asked France about Trujillo, I thought it was going to be plain and simple. He's a horrible, terrible man. And France does think Trujillo is a horrible man. But she also said this. I think Trujillo is very much an embodiment of the complexity of Dominican identity. In other words, Trujillo is not some violent anomaly. No, he represents something about the DR as a whole. And I think she's right. Trujillo is horrible. He's the embodiment of white supremacy. But that horribleness is maybe inside every Dominican, even if we wish it wasn't. It's festering there. It's anti-blackness. And it's everywhere. Not just in the DR. Everywhere. And even today, decades after Trujillo, anti-blackness rears its ugly head in the DR. The current president of the DR just started construction on a border wall. Haitians face discrimination daily, simply for their accents, their culture, and the color of their skin. This discrimination is exactly what France is trying to shed light on. She says when she was working in northern Haiti, she'd regularly hear stories of Haitians being tortured or killed with no repercussions from the Dominican government. And her colleagues on the border were witnessing a crisis. They essentially said, friends, we are seeing thousands and thousands of Haitians fleeing the DR with whatever they can carry on on their back. And we need your help making sure that people know about this because we're afraid this is going to be 1937 all over again. The day I spoke with France in November 2021, the Dominican government was actively rounding up Haitians, including Haitians with Dominican citizenship, and deporting them. One of the laws that they passed this week was banning quote-unquote illegal immigrants um, from giving birth in Dominican hospitals. That is a violation of every law. <laughs> like it's it, it's a, a violation of human rights law, it's a violation of Dominican law. I mean it's it's a violation of morals, of ethics. Um 
And so there's this viral video on social media of Dominican immigration agents actually going to the maternity ward at hospitals and rounding up women who they perceive as Haitian in labor. Holy shit. Yeah. In, in one video, the woman is, like, clearly distressed. Um, she, she's in labor. The immigration agent is trying to shove her on the bus, and he's taking her small child out of her hand. Like, you don't really need to know anything about Haiti and DR to see this video and know it's messed up. Like, never mind that it's also unlawful. France doesn't want to see 1937 all over again. I don't either. Okay, so as I'm discovering all this history and figuring out what is in my blood, I come back to you, Ruby. The reason I started looking for this history in the first place. And now that I know more about the Trujillo era and El Corte, I have one big question for you, Ruby. Where the hell were you? Whose side were you on? Why didn't you say anything? Here's what I know. In 1937, you were married to Flor de Oro, Trujillo's eldest daughter. You're living in Paris, where you're serving as a diplomat. And Flor spends her time waiting for you to come home, but you are partying with the elite, driving fast cars, wearing fancy clothes, and of course, meeting women, white European women. It's here. In 1937, that you learn about Trujillo's massacre of the Haitians. 25 years later, you write in your memoir that you didn't know racism existed in the DR. You say you're shocked. When I learned of the massacre, I I was sickened beyond belief. But I was helpless to exact any change at home. What a great burden of guilt men have. We gather our arms around it, while at the same time we go on as if nothing were happening. What other choice did I have? It is easier to look the other way when you are removed from the reality by thousands of miles of ocean and the frivolity of the atmosphere in Paris. All right, Ruby. So maybe you feel guilty about all this 25 years after the fact. But in 1937, you didn't say shit. Not a damn thing. There's not a single account of you confronting Trujillo, not even once, or condemning the massacre in the press. Why did you keep quiet? Because you were scared of the consequences of disagreeing with Trujillo? Scared you'd lose your job, your money, your freedom to parade around your your way of life? Maybe scared you'd actually lose your life. It's like my pop said about my great-grandfather in Trujillo. If you're not a part of this group, You wouldn't get what you needed to get, so you had to be smart. At the end of the day, keeping quiet and being smart feels cowardly to me. That is the opposite of what a hero would do, the opposite of what my hero would do. But I don't know. Maybe you weren't a hero. Maybe you were just a person trying to survive a messed up situation, and that's why you kept your mouth shut. But what about us, today? Why isn't this history something we talk about? Why do you think this never came up in conversation? Why didn't you teach me any of this history? I don't know. I started to live the American dream. There was no interest. I'm American, man. Born and raised. To me, Dominican Republic was where my family was from. And 
my mother was always here working and all she did was go every summer and for vacations. Chris, let me ask you a question. What gives you this urge to know more about this culture? Is it because of what's happening with society now? Is it that you want to know your Latin culture and you want to know where basically we come from and where your roots are? Is that your interest or is it that it bothers you that you're not being as much recognized or the Latin culture is not being as much recognized in the United States of America? I mean, yeah, sure. That's like, that's a, I think, yes, all of the above, right? D, all of the above. It's, it's that it's, it's not recognized, but it's more about the fact that I just, I don't know. And, and I think it's important to know where we come from. I think it's great to embrace where we are and, and to be present, but I think it's really important to know what else, what else are we carrying in our bloodline and our history? I think family matters. You talk about it all the time and, and I, and no offense, but our family is not the four of us. It's not, you know, you, mom and Lauren, uh, there's so much more to us and there's knowing them, uh, and having relationships with these things, I think deep in our lives. Um, so that's why I care. Ruby, you didn't fight for your brownness or your blackness, and maybe that wasn't your job. But in seeing that, I'm starting to think it's mine. Next time, we're going to take a look at the shadow whiteness has cast in the place I live and work now, Hollywood. Think of the guy we're talking about. Think everything that he does, boxes, shoots, rides horses, races cars. It's like, you know, he's an action hero. Why haven't we gotten a Ruby movie? We'll talk about it. Ruby Rosa is a production of Witness Docs from Stitcher. It's created by me, your boy, Christopher Rivas. I am also an executive producer. Abigail Keel is our senior producer. She's magical. Kevin Tidmarsh is our producer. Our story editor is John Delore, a genius. Our technical director is Casey Holford. Camille Stanley is the executive producer of Witness Docs. Readings of Ruby's memoir were beautifully performed by Victor Almanzar. Workhouse Media Inc. is also a contributing producer to this podcast, as are executive producers Amelia Baker, Mackenzie Monroe, and Ari Anderson. Thanks, y'all. Original music for this podcast is composed and performed by my homie Wilson Torres, Yeson Biamar, and Marcos Ferella. Our theme song is composed by Allison Layton Brown. Get in touch, y'all. We want to know your questions, thoughts, and stories. We want to hear from you. So send them all to rubirosa at stitcher.com. And do us a favor. Subscribe to the show. Write reviews. Tell your friends. We love the help. We appreciate you. Peace, y'all. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.
sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.